Small businesses have the opportunity to learn from professionals and from each other. And bringing those perspectives together is an important part of Inside the Vault. Enterprise Bank's new podcast series. Welcome to Inside the Vault. As many of you know that have been following our podcast episodes, we've been talking a lot about the COVID-19 pandemic and the effects of that pandemic and the related shutdowns on small business. But now what we'd like to do is talk a little bit about public policy and dissect public policy to the extent that it's going to have consequences for the small business community going forward. And we also want to introduce the concept of fairness with regard to public policy, because there's been a lot of discussions about fairness, whether it's related to tax proposals, whether it's related to stimulus provisions and how they've affected different industry or different business types. But fairness is something that we really want to focus on in terms of being sure that the rhetoric that our leadership is is utilizing is really the truth, so to speak. So let me start with what the definition of fair is, and this is from Webster's Dictionary. The definition of fair is that it's marked by impartiality and honesty, free from self-interest, prejudice, or favoritism, So we're going to entitle this episode, Truth or Consequences. And for those of you who may remember, Truth or Consequences was a game show that ran from the 1950s to the 1970s, Chuck, back when you were in high school, right? Yeah. (laughs) Only on a podcast can you bust your boss on his age. What we want to discuss, first of all, is what's on the minds of small business owners. Bank of America recently released their 2001 Small Business Owners Survey, and they polled small business owners across the country uh, on what their top concerns were going into 2021. So I want to read those off to you, and then we're going we're gonna to get into some of these specific topics uh, in a little more detail. So the number one concern that small business owners had going into 2021 was the U.S. political environment. And obviously, there's there's a lot to talk about there, and a lot of these other topics will have political bent to them in terms of how policy is being rolled out right now. Second was healthcare costs. Third was commodities prices, which you can translate into inflation that I, I think we're all starting to see take hold in the economy. Fourth was the tax environment, and we're going to spend some time talking about fair share in terms of how taxes are collected from individuals and businesses at different levels of income. And there's also concern in the small business community about the interest rate environment and potential interest rate increases. So one of the top items was the healthcare costs. So we're going to dig into that right now. Chuck Lai is here with me. Most of you know Chuck from prior episodes or from prior dealings with the bank. He's our president and CEO and has a background in banking with accounting and tax. So, but we're talking healthcare right now, Chuck. So, you know, we're in a current environment where there's not a whole heck of a lot of competition with regard to the price of healthcare. And we did a little research just on a standard procedure, a blood transfusion, and, and it's amazing. Uh, and as folks will see that are watching this on video from the chart that is up on the screen right now, the variability in pricing just for the same procedure across different health systems or different hospitals. Chuck, I, I'm interested in your take on on why is this variability here? And a free market and a normal supply demand, uh, small business market, you know, everyone's fairly consistent among their pricing, but that's not the case in healthcare. Well, the issue is there is competition amongst insurance companies. And somehow in the political arena, 
we've equated insurance to healthcare, and they're really not the same thing, yet our leadership seems to, to treat it as though they're synonymous when, when they're not. You know, the, the way the parties work now is you have one party pushing for, you know, Obamacare, more of a government-subsidized insurance, and then you have Republican side pushing for private insurance and the way it was. And what everybody misses is they're all focused on the insurance, whether it's federal, government, tax dollars subsidizing insurance to make it affordable, or whether there's efficiencies from private insurance making it. Well, both of those are irrelevant to the real issue. The real issue is the cost of medical services. If the costs go down, the insurance is going to go down. (laughs) If the costs go up, the insurance is going to go up. And if you want your tax dollars subsidizing it, then they'll subsidize at the insurance level. And and you can decide whether you want your tax dollars subsidizing health care costs or you want it to be directly coming out of a person's pay. That's not really, that debate is irrelevant in making this efficient. These are nonprofit organizations, no hospital systems. They typically do not compete with one another in a traditional sense. What they do is they go buy up physician groups, and then in most of our world, the physicians refer you to the procedures and, and what's going on. So if you're in our western Pennsylvania area and you're going to a UPMC practice, they're referring you to a UPMC hospital. If you're in a Highmark practice, they're referring you to a Highmark hospital. There's That's not competition. Again, when you look at competition, it's similar to where you compare apples with apples. Competition is when, in this case, we, we did the chart on the cost of a blood transfusion. It's not really a procedure with high quality, things like that. It's a pretty much standard process wherever you go. You can see in one hospital system, it's $650, and the other one goes up to almost twice that. Well, that doesn't happen when competition is out there. But think about this when you go to a hospital or go to a doctor. Is price what you're paying attention to? When we go buy a car, we are focused on the price and we're comparing apples with apples. Well, blood transfusion in this case is apples with apples, but you don't get a chance to compare the price. And you don't have an option really where you really get to go because if you go one place, your doctor it's outside your doctor group. If you go to another place it's in, that's where you go. It, it doesn't take a rocket science this to figure out that if one system's charging twice as another one and you really have the flexibility to go where you want and truly the cost that you incur is going to be directly related to, to which one you go to, then competition will kick in. Then you won't see one hospital system being able to charge twice what another one does because everybody's going to run to the first one. <laughs> the yeah. second one's not going to be busy at all, and they're going to have to drop their price. That's the simple competition. You can't go in the marketplace and find this kind of discrepancy for similar services because... There's truly no competition. And the real frustrating thing, no matter whether you're a Democrat or Republican, the frustrating part of this is leadership isn't focused on the problem. They're worried about insurance. Well, if these costs go up, insurance is going up. Now, we, yes, it could go up where it comes directly out of our pocket, or it could come up where it parts out of our pocket and then parts indirectly out of another pocket when we have to pay our income taxes and the government subsidizes it. It's still the underlying problem is the underlying cost, and none of them are focused on what the important part of it is. They just fight about Obamacare or not instead of focusing on what's going on. This is a severe problem. Costs are going up dramatically. 
when you look at the nonprofit hospital systems, a lot of them are making a ton of money. And instead of dropping their prices and or being competitive, a nonprofit is supposed to bring you a service for a, they're not making a profit, so it should be lower. That's why we subsidize them, not paying real estate taxes, not doing all the things we do for a nonprofit to help them. And what are nonprofits doing? They're making a ton of money. They're not reducing their prices, and then they're using it someplace else. Overseas, well, in some if, cases. Obviously, you can look in western Pennsylvania and see one where a lot of their expansions and a lot of what they do goes to pay some pretty big salaries, and it goes to building places overseas. Well, that those profits are coming off the backs of western Pennsylvanians paying higher prices than what they should for what a nonprofit is supposed to be doing. They shouldn't be allowed to be a nonprofit if they don't function that way. And yet nobody focuses on these issues. And we just watch costs go up and up and up and hurt small business and people. And we do not focus on any of the real problems. So Chuck, one of the other major concerns uh, from the, the Bank of America small business owner survey was increase in commodities prices. And I think you can translate that into talking about, you know, concerns over inflation in general. And, you know, we have somewhat of a perfect storm happening with regard to inflation. We have commodities prices increasing just because of a lack of true supply because of shutdowns in the supply chain earlier on in the pandemic when, when certain areas were locked down. And then we have this unemployment component that's also driving prices upward because in many industries, you know, there are a number of people uh, on unemployment, and, but yet a number of jobs available. And for different reasons, which, you know, we can speculate are related to fears of COVID, related to, um, you know, taking care of school children that are, aren't in school or elderly that aren't in facilities, or in many cases, the uh, reliance on unemployment benefits, which have been pumped up, you know, during the pandemic. I'm interested in, in your take on where you see inflation going. And is, is this a transitory thing? Is the Fed and many economists think it is? Or is it going to be a, a long-term trend in prices moving upward? As you know, the Fed has a dual mandate. One is to bring the country to full employment. The other is to keep inflation in, in check so that it doesn't run out of kilter like it did when we were back after the Vietnam War and inflation rates got to 20%. Based on Fed actions now, you can see that with rates being as low as they are and for an extended period of time and the discussions they're having, they're they're more focused on unemployment being reduced versus inflation. They feel inflation at this point is transient, uh, temporary, and not to worry about versus they need to push the economy harder to create more jobs to reduce unemployment and bring the country back to full employment. The, the, now, the, the raw numbers, though, Chuck, or we lost 20 million jobs during the pandemic. I didn't say I, didn't say I agree with okay. them. And I didn't say that I think they're accurate in their timing. Okay. Um, okay. If You know, there, it, it's becoming very obvious. You, you see comments from the Fed looking at uh, a plethora of documentation and, and historic summary of where things are at. And then we as a bank, sit there and talk to small business people that are experiencing things today. And I think the Fed is in disconnect mode. They're relying so much on history, they don't see where, where we're actually transitioning very quickly to creating a problem. You know, we, we have pumped 
an incredible amount of money into this economy to try to bring it to full employment and, and keep it in a robust to get through the pandemic. And when you look at things, you can see unemployment. If you look at the one chart we prepared, it'll go up. You know, unemployment is roughly 6%. There were 8 million jobs that were unfilled. Uh, when you equate those two numbers together, if the people that were unemployed took those jobs, unemployment would be at 1%. And I think we all agree that's full employment, okay? Now, granted, there are areas of geographic differences where they... It's not a perfect labor yeah, market, right? It is. But it certainly is sending the signal that the economy is producing jobs. It's strong enough to take care of, of employment. And that maybe shouldn't be your emphasis anymore because of all the fiscal stimulus that's in, that's in our system. And truthfully, for us in the small business area, we are seeing all that stimulus is so strong with unemployment. We've given such benefits to unemployment that people are beneficial to stay at home and not take the job. And, and people that are, you, you hear that being brought up to leadership and they're kind of playing it down. Yet if you go in at any restaurant, any small business right now, you hear unbelievable amounts of complaining, I can't find people to work. And you look at these salaries and we all equate to that, those types of salaries as being, if we had our benefit, it would be $30,000 a year. Well, you know, we put up the chart here that somebody who is unemployed at 30,000 actually is making more on unemployment. And where I think most of us believe unemployment's a tremendous tool, but it's there to help somebody on a temporary basis when they've lost one job before they find the next. We've taken that a step further. We don't even make people look for a job now. You can get unemployment without looking. You can pass on a job. In fact, I heard somebody from the current administration say, well, that should be okay. People should have time to find the job that's right for them. Well, that's not really the way most of us believe the program's designed. And so what you're getting is between fear of COVID, between incentivizing people not to work. These unemployment numbers are high, but they're artificially high because of your system and the way they designed it, not because the economy won't, won't absorb it. And if that's the case, it's time to stop with this. Because what we are also seeing is, I don't know who's looking at what, but you look at uh, a two by four, a piece of lumber, and a year ago, it was $2 for a 2x4, and today it's 7 or $8. And you look at the price of housing, even in western Pennsylvania, where we typically do not have housing bubbles like they do on the coasts and some of the cities. Somebody posts their house, there's a bidding war for that house right now. Prices are going through the roof. To sit there and pretend that there's no inflation, well, maybe the historical numbers don't show it, but if you're paying attention to what's really out there right now, Look at gasoline prices, which I don't really emphasize as much as I do some of these other things because that is very volatile. But still, it's a big expense for people. Look at where the price of gas was a year ago versus where it is today. Look at the price of a house a year ago versus it is today. Look at lumber supplies a year ago versus today. These numbers are going through the roof, and yet our leadership is still talking about throw more money into the system which creates inflation. I don't know what people are looking at. Maybe they want to buy votes. Maybe they're not paying attention to the numbers. I don't know what the motivation is, but clearly it's not good 
activity at this point in the cycle because somebody's not paying attention where the priority should be shifting. Well, let me add some color around some of that because, you know, I was interested in, you know, how what's the magnitude of all the money that we've pumped into the economy? So between the, you know, the four, uh, actually five stimulus packages that have, have been put in place already, the government's invested $5 trillion extra into the economy. For context, you know how much they injected into the economy to, to get us help get us out of the financial crisis in 2008? $800 billion. Not even a trillion dollars. And now we're at $5 trillion. Leads me into a question for you, and it's a little off topic, but maybe not. Now they're proposing another $2 trillion in infrastructure spending. Is this the right time when prices are going up Inflation's taking hold. We have problems. Business owners are having problems getting people to take the jobs. Is this the right time to put another $2 trillion in stimulus into the economy? I can't answer stupid. Okay? <laughs> I don't know what else to say. I mean, I do think this country, the pure concept of infrastructure, our infrastructure does need improved. And I think we should be emphasizing it and we should be working towards improving it. Doing that kind of, putting that kind of money in this fast, this hard, when you already have supply chain problems and other things in place, I think is going to create one heck of a problem down the road. So, you know, when you look at something like that in the long term, we definitely have... have sure, we have need bridges and we need roads. Yeah, yeah, there's no question these things need to be improved. But you have sent so much money into this economy. Look at look at people, you know, and when we get to fairness, the, the shameful thing is, if you have put $5 trillion in, you have put this in saying, it's COVID relief. I need to help for COVID. You and I both know probably one-fifth of that is all that went directly for COVID. The rest of it has just gone into people that are paying down debts. They're putting it in the banks. A banks are, we have so much cash, we don't know what to do with it. We've never seen things like this before, what's right. going on. But it's not being spent in the economy. And it when, it when you try, you can't. The supply chains are all screwed up. I ordered a vehicle at the end of January. I still don't have it. It used to take me six weeks to order a vehicle to come in. It's now how many months? Four, and I still don't have it. If you can't spend it, you can't cause the economy to get stronger. People that are trying to do remodeling projects, you can't get on the board to get it done. It'll be four months before somebody comes and does something. You know, you don't keep throwing money at something like that. It just makes this problem get worse and worse. I don't understand the logic at all because I come back to it's either me or leadership is stupid because all the signals are this is the wrong course of action if you have any kind of business common sense whatsoever. To add a little fuel to your already uh, burning fire of that $2 trillion infrastructure bill, do you know how much of that is truly bridges, roads, physical infrastructure? $600 billion of the $2 trillion. I know. The other is for social issues. Well, th this gets to a point that's somewhat of a theme that we have today. You know, I, I think as a, a gr as a civilization and as a country, there's a lot of things that we need to debate. And what we're really talking about whether you're running a business, you're running a country, whatever, life is a balance. 
and you're trying to make a balance. You know, when you're in the business and running a business, I'm balancing my shareholders' interests and taking care of them. I'm balancing all my clients' and customers' interests and taking care of them. And I'm also balancing all my staff and taking care of them. If I really want to have a family close environment, I have to watch everything and try to be fair to everyone. And what we're doing now, these things when we talk about infrastructure and these kind of spending this kind of money, we're not balancing. We're not thinking of all parties involved. We're taking little groups for a selfish purpose and trying to accomplish a goal that may not be a good balance for all of us as a whole. And if I had a criticism with leadership as a whole, that's what's taking place. Their no self-interest or an interest that's for them, and they're not looking at what else is going on. If you're really leading, you're thinking about, and you make a decision, you think of everybody else except yourself. You do not put yourself in the equation. You look at what's best decision for everybody else, and then that's what brings you to that balance. As soon as you introduce yourself into the into the formula, then it's then it's not a good balanced decision. It's a selfish decision, and um, we we have a hard time anymore making balanced decisions in leadership anymore. That's why you have uh, two opposing parties that can never seem to work together, and it makes it hard for people in this country to understand what's going on. You, we'll, we'll, we'll put up a chart, we're going to discuss that. But the truth of the matter is, somebody that's making $40,000 a year has an incremental tax rate of 12%. At $400,000, your incremental tax rate is 35%. How is that not paying your fair share? That's almost three times as much incrementally as what the other person's paying. Instead of having a debate that says, I think in this country you're, you work that hard, you should pay more, more than your fair share, and I think it should be four times as much, not three times as much. I'm okay with we have that debate. I'm okay when we as a civilization have that kind of debate. What I have a real problem with is when you sit there in front of people and say, I don't pay my fair share. That makes it sound like you pay 12% and I pay something less when I make 10 times what you do. That's not honesty. It's not integrity. And we all do this to make our arguments, whether we're talking about unemployment, whether we're talking about inflation, this is not the right way to work together as a team because we're not caring about the other people in the group. We only care about what we want and we're going to distort things so we get what we want. This is what's wrong with the way leadership operates in today's world. So let's bring this back to small business, which is obviously our target audience. And, 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 and we're on this the topic of taxes now. So we've already talked about headwinds for the small business owner with regard to materials costs and the labor pool. Is this the time to further reduce their incentive to grow their businesses because of the increase in taxes that is on the horizon? Well, you know, there's a, there's a mindset that some people think we as some people are, are not smart, and so they have to think for us and tell us what to do. And what you're getting is a lot of that. There's a, there's a debate. There's some people that feel, I want the strength and the power to be with me as an individual. And there's another group that says, uh, we think we're smarter than you, and we should tell you what to do. That's, that's an underlying tone. That, that's going through our, our marketplace right now. And it shows itself in healthcare costs. It shows itself in all sorts of different policies. You know, we have a chart that we're gonna 
uh, discuss with regard to coal production and energy production in this country. And, you know, we have a debate, no matter what side you're on, you can sit there and say, we have global warming or we don't. Well, I think most people can sense right now, we do have a warming that's taking place. And we probably, as a as a civilization should be smart about yeah we should be smart about trying to mitigate that issue before we hurt ourselves now the problem is again life is a balance and we're a team and in this particular session the team is the whole world we don't have a bubble of air over the united states and another bubble of air over china it's one world and when you look at the chart you see the administration now arguing and saying cut coal production cut carbon emissions Let's cut and we'll go to renewable energy sources. Well, that in the long term, we all should be doing this as a world. But the truth of the matter is today, the carbon emissions are a cheaper source of energy than the renewable sources are for the most part. And so the, the challenge here is just creating all of us to work together as a team. And how do you do that? What we have done is we have gone, and if you look at this chart, our coal production has gone down. Um, over the last, say, 10 years. And that's a good thing because it makes uh, less carbon emissions and, and, and that should be a good thing. The problem is, if you look What's at China the rest of the world and doing? India and yeah. the rest of the world, everything we're going down, they're more than taking and going up. And that's cheap cost for them. Our costs are going, going up. up. And so our people are less competitive, our businesses, than those other businesses because they're all cheap. That is not fair. And you can't put your head in the ground and play ostrich and pretend this isn't what's going on. This is where you see this battle between leaderships now. And the problem I have is on one party, they want to ignore that we as a world that there's that there's global warming. And the other party wants to make it think like we're the we can make a difference ourselves without bringing anybody else along. And you're both completely wrong. You can't cut carbon emissions unless everybody does. And if you cut and they don't, you're, you'll be out of business, they'll be in business, and you won't have a choice in the future. Now, that's kind of a, a dramatic push, but that's really what's taking place. So a good management team, a leadership team, comes together and recognizes this and, and pulls people together to do this. And until the other side does the right thing, well, you don't cut your nose off despite yourself either. Well, and again, I criticize the timing of these things. So you want to shut down pipelines. You want to do all these things that in the long term are really good for the globe and good for the country. But you're doing it at a time where you're trying to get us back on our feet. And it seems like leadership would rather just pump more money into the economy to do that than let certain industry segments get back on their feet. You can pump all the money you want. If you can't buy a car unless they produce one and give it to you. You can't buy a set of golf clubs unless they're there. You can't get a golf ball unless it's been made and it's there. You can't get a house unless it's made and sitting there. And when this, what they're not getting is, not only are you pumping a lot of money in that pushes inflation, but when you're also hitting it from the demand side, when you're artificial, or the supply side, and you're artificially slowing it, that pushes it up too. And when you have tons of money, and you've got a lot more, which creates a lot of demand, but now you're artificially keeping the supply down, 
Well, those two factors it's that come the perfect together, storm, right? and that's what's happening right now, and the Fed is missing it, and sitting there saying, I don't think this is going to go on for a long period of time. Well, I, I got to... How I, often, you Chuck? You better change course pretty quick. Chuck, how often in history do we see, particularly in the wages, you see wages come down once they're, they're up? No. Well, well this, is where, <laughs> this is where, when we look at our political environment, and people completely miss the boat, like we talked about competition in healthcare, the, the perfect the perfect world here is or example in this world is the way we're fighting about minimum wages. You have one group sitting there saying minimum wage has to be fifteen. It just has to be that's a fair wage. And you have another group saying it's like ten or eleven. Well <laughs> welcome to the real world people. Competition has already brought the wage up to fifteen or thereabouts. In McDonald's they're up to eleven or twelve bucks. You know what the average it's ridiculous to fight about something that's already taken place. Nobody's paying seven dollars an hour for minimum wage. They haven't for a long period of time, so why even talking about it? Instead they waste all their time talking about it and don't tackle the real issue. There was a survey I I did a little research on on the average job seeker what the minimum wage that they're willing to accept to get back into the workforce. It's over $19 an hour now. Go look and see what unemployment is at that wage level that they're paying you right now. You, you, re you look at that chart, like last summer, when we were doing $600 a week, $30,000 salary was getting, what, 40-some-odd thousand I believe. Well, why would you go back to work and take a 50% pay cut? <laughs> Nobody with any common sense would. Uh, this is, you can just see... Bad management, bad policy, and we're going to see it in this economy happen in a bad way unless people start to stop trying to be selfish and protect their own interests and do what's best for us as a whole. Well, thank you, Chuck. Uh, once again, I can see the level of passion that, that, that you have for some of these issues and, and more importantly, how we can affect change. To that end, we need your input. We try to be an advocate for small business whenever we can here at Enterprise. And a lot of these issues that we laid out in today's episode are not easy to change. We need your support. We need your ideas. If you have any comments on how we can come together as one voice for small business and address some of these issues that are of concern going forward, please let us know. You can email us your comments, suggestions, and ideas at inside the vault at enterprisebankpgh.com. Thank you very much.